Because our vision is expanded when we learn by seeing through another's eyes. From time to time, we invite various members of our church to share part of their journey with us. It's a blessing to hear another's tale. And today is one of those occasions. The people who will be sharing with us this morning are Stanton Dossett, John Jane, and Robert Smith. They have different durations of history with this congregation and ought to offer us a pretty broad perspective. Let us listen and become all the more because of it. Stanton? Good morning. Um, my name's Stanton Dossett. I'm, um, I'm on the board here now. Um, I was born and raised here in Shreveport. I, um, I lived here till I was about 16, and then I left for 16 years. And then I came back for what I thought was two years, and that's 16 years ago this August. Um, my upbringing in Shreveport, uh, my, my grandparents, actually Stanton Dossett, I'm, I'm the third. The first uh, was one of the founding members of um, St. Paul's Episcopal Church over on uh, Piermont or Southfield. Um, I'm not quite sure why he and his colleagues decided to break off from or, or leave St. Mark's Church, but um, I think of what a remarkable impulse that must be to just up and head out and, you know, stick a shovel in the ground and create a new uh, a church across town. I, I never had that impulse. Um, My mother, who was from South Louisiana, um, and a very free spirit, my father's a uh, very conservative Republican, wonderful fellow, um, but my mother's uh, was a wild South Louisiana liberal. We had very lively discussions around our dinner tables. Um, and for whatever reason, she decided we would not go to my grandfather's church. I think it's just the in-laws had something to, you know, uh, trying to find her own way up here. So she took me to, um, or us, the family, to Holy Cross uh, downtown, where um, I'm sure some of you know Father Kenneth Paul, who as, uh, and I guess it was time for me to be confirmed and so we needed to find a place for me to be confirmed. And it, it didn't hurt that, um, that Father Paul, the first time I laid eyes on him, was uh, he had long white hair down on his shoulder. This is in the late 60s. And he drove up in his silver convertible Corvette. <laughs> and so I thought maybe... There was something, uh, some sense of vitality there, anyway. But um, I really, I don't remember any 
connection at all with Holy Cross. I remember, you know, dark. I mean, I think it's a beautiful church, but it's dark. It's heavy. Um, There's not a lot of light and vitality in there. My parents were ended up being fairly ambivalent about going to church, and I think the only reason they went was so that we would have some place to go. And indeed, that's what I think brought me back, uh, or brought me to uh, to All Souls, uh, was in the end my children, um, on at their request, not me requesting or trying to find a place for them. Um, the, the first really spiritual moment I can remember um, was when my wild, liberal, South Louisiana mom gave me a copy of um, a book called Be Here Now by a fellow named Ram Das. I was about 14, and I uh, put it under my arm and wandered down the street to Betty Virginia Park and sat down and started reading. And um, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, uh, the book, it was written by a, a former uh, psychology professor from Harvard who um, got involved with um, Timothy Leary taking uh, LSD. And indeed, when he first took it, he thought, this is going to solve all the problems of the world. <laughs> there will be true love between all mankind. And uh, because he was a very smart man, um, he wanted to check out his hypothesis there, so he started romping around the world looking for a genuinely wise man to, uh, to confirm, you know, that LSD indeed was going to save the world. Um, and his travels took him to uh, one of the, a, a wise man in India who somehow knew that he was carrying this, this, this LSD with him and told him to bring it to him. And um, apparently it was very powerful stuff. And the guy immediately started eating it. And uh, it had no effect on him at all. At any rate, he gave, it, it was the answer. Uh, uh, it's what allowed um, Ram Das to move on to uh, consider bigger things. Uh, and he ended up studying in India for many years. The main thing it was for me is it was, uh, um, I realized that the world was a lot more interesting and um, I don't know if I would have used the word mystical at 14 or 15, but one thing that I think the churches that I went to um, early on there, there definitely did not seem to be a sense of space or a sense of a need to question, really. Um, things were pretty solid, pretty structural, and the answers were there. And essentially, it was our duties, it seemed, to familiarize ourselves with the answers. And... Um, At any rate, that didn't seem to... Somehow I just never was able to make that connection. I think I was always looking for, uh, you know, the good stuff. I mean, it's... (laughs) 
I mean, you look around and what's, what's going, I mean, you know, you see somebody with a, who has a sense of vitality and it's, uh, there, there's some real spirit there. And, um, and that's what I was looking for. And that, that middle 16 years took me a lot of places uh, to study with Allen Ginsberg and his uh, Buddhist teacher, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, um, later to study with uh, another um, genuine lunatic who was one of the most wonderful people I ever knew, a fellow knew, named Jafu uh, Feng, who um, translated the Dao Te Ching and the I Ching, um, not the I Ching, the Dao Te Ching and the Chuang Su. But all of the, the process of hanging out with these folks was a lot more of opening, uh, and in the end, I guess, I'm not sure where it's... Um, it seems to me that what a lot of this process is about is, you know, know thyself, and uh, rather than, and I suppose in some ways, learning the scriptures and uh, somehow can bring you back to that, and it certainly has worked for some folks. I mean, you can see there's some super good folks at a lot of churches all over the place. Um, in the end, um, when I came back to Shreveport, and the first time I set foot at, in All Souls was over on King's Highway, um, my mother's friend, Sonny Sewell, who's still a member here, uh, brought me over there. After my encounters with Ram Das. she kind of saw that maybe I was, because I, I don't think I'd been in a church for a decade, you know, or close to it anyway. So that was my first um, contact with All Souls, and I did see that there were um, folks with uh, questions, and that was okay. And the, the main thing is, uh, well, in the next stage, when I moved back to Shreveport, I came back with children. Uh, I had no inclination to take them to any church. Uh, ultimately, I was trying to just uh, wake up in the morning and... Um, you know, apply as much virtue as possible, which many days wasn't much. Um, but we were living on Dixie Garden Road, um, and a wonderful place, and my eight-year-old son walked in the back door, he'd just been playing next door, and said um, that he had just found out he was going to hell. And hell had been described to him, and he did not want to go. And there was only one way out, and that was for him to go with the neighbors to Riverside Baptist Church. And so um, I said, well, I think we can go to church. Um, and that's when I promptly, um, you know, put him in the car, and we, we came over here on a Sunday morning. But not before experiencing, actually, what it was, you know, uh, uh, going to Riverside. With We very cordially accepted the invitation from our neighbors and went there and watched uh, a short play about sinners dying in a car wreck and going straight to hell. And then they swept my eight-year-old off into the back room to sign up. And um, But people are just doing the best they can, you know. I think ultimately everyone's trying to wake up, and that's how, that's what they were, had they, they had decided was the way to do it. 
At any rate, what's kept me here and uh, what I'm grateful for here is, is that there is, um, there is not a fear of space. There's not a fear of questioning. Um, it doesn't hurt to read and to be familiar with all of these um, other systems. I think there's some good ones, and I think they do help us come to know ourselves. But ultimately, um, it's really just, um, to, uh, if I think around Shreveport right now, where I am able to sit and do two things, one, to really follow my mind wherever it's going to go and my heart, and at the same time, um, not have to um, react to such tight uh, belief systems. Uh, this is pretty much the only place I think I could find here. So, and, um, so I'm very grateful for just um, the very subtle but underlying courage to um, keep asking these questions uh, rather than um, grasping for these age-old answers. Um, so that's why I'm here. And uh, it's very good to see all of you. Good morning. I'm, I'm John Jane. I've been a member here for a little over a year. My spiritual journey started with my parents. My father was a uh, ardent and committed and obnoxious, sometimes atheist. My mother was a Catholic parochial schoolgirl. She got excommunicated from marrying him. But the discussions at our house on subjects of spirituality and religion were always interesting. Anyway, the effect it had on me was that my feeling about religion and spirituality for the next half of my life was a matter of monumental indifference to me. I had no interest whatever. I had other things to do that were much more important. In 1968, I came to Shreveport with AT&T. I worked for a fellow named Floyd Boswell, Phil's father, God rest him, and uh, being a, a damn Yankee and come down here, Boz took the time to spend individual time with us people. And uh, <laughs> he was trying to persuade us to understand that we were not to be cringe, cringe at the side of the Ku Klux Klan or anything like that. And um, he would spend time talking with you about how you were going, how your family was doing, did you find a home, are you going to school okay? On this particular day, we were talking about kids, and uh, my oldest daughter was having a real problem. She moved here as a senior in high school. Can you imagine anything worse? So anyway, uh, the phone rang, and Boz excused himself and picked it up. And the conversation went something like this. No. 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 And he slammed the phone down, and he came back and sat down on the couch beside me, and he said, I'm going to kill that kid when I get home. Look at the great job that Sarah and Boz have done on film. <laughs> His next question 
delivered very gently was, John, uh, what church do you go to? And I said, I don't go to church. He said, well, this is Shreveport, Louisiana, and we're down here trying to be in the community, so it would be a good idea for you to go find a church, church to join. Now, at that time in my career, when a general manager made a suggestion, it was sort of like the 11th commandment. So I rushed out and joined First Methodist Church. And D.L. Dykes was the minister there. It was one of the most extraordinary experiences of my life. It was such a learning experience, both in the church and later on when he went into the alternate view. D.L. and Boz have moved on. Then I got on the church board, and that convinced me it was time to move on. I see that every time I see Claudia walking out there, she looks so relaxed now, you know. And so on my own, I studied Buddhism extensively. I read Ram Dass repeatedly. I was very impressed with some of the Catholic um, people I knew in, Ju- in Judaism. I read Buddha in the Bhagavad Gita. I was very impressed by Ayn Rand and her Atlas Shrugged and Objectivism and Emerson's self-reliance and came to the conclusion that the only way that I could find what I should do and how I should do it has got to come from within to be understood and defined and practiced. In 1989, one of my students at LSUS, John Rosser, he was just a kid then, he invited me out to this church. Uh, they were having a, a hootenanny and a sing-along, and I came out, and I really enjoyed it. It was a good time, but I didn't join the church. I play music sometimes with uh, Bob Jordan. He has a group here that gets together every so often, the Covenant Group for Music and Vocal Music, and I met a lot of great people there, and Bob's done a great job there. Many, many people are aware of this church because of Bob Jordan's ex- efforts in that area. He would always start the, the singing jams with a, 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 a nice, you know, emotional type thing that you were supposed to think about. I want to make it perfectly clear that Bob and I have never agreed on anything political. I don't want to get him in trouble. But I didn't join this church. One Sunday, on a whim, my wife and I came here for the sermon and had the extraordinary good luck to be here when uh, Reverend Shulman from Houston was here. He used to come once a month. We never missed another one of his sermons. They were inspiring. They were controversial. They made you think. Sometimes they made you feel a little bit ashamed of yourself. But very, very, very good. But I didn't join this church. Roger Christian started a Christian Bible study group here at this church. He brought a fine, young, far-right, conservative, I believe every word of the Bible, Christian to teach Bible studies, and once again, it was a very inspiring, a very interesting experience. But I didn't join this church. And one day, during one of Barbara's sermons, it came to me that this is where I belong now. So you can uh, give credit or blame to uh, Barbara and Bob and Roger and John and a lot of other people who I've enjoyed. Um, They've uh, always inspired me and challenged me. Sometimes they provoke me, but I thank them, every one. In closing, 
I have to make a confession, though. I have a lady friend at this church. As soon as my wife finds out that, we're in big trouble. But this lady is always so glad to see me. She's given me lots of big hugs and just all kinds of joy. Easter, my family was all out of town. My wife was with her mother, and my family had gone in different directions. I was sitting over there, somewhere over there, and uh, feeling kind of glum, really. And all of a sudden, I I felt a tap on my arm, and I looked up, and there was nobody there. And I realized, oh, she's down there. She said, can I come and sit with you? Let me tell you something. That gloomy day got to be a joy. I am delighted, challenged, inspired by the youth of this church. Rose and this, the people, I, the kids I meet here, I met Pagan this morning, and she talked my ear off, but it was great. <laughs> they, uh, they, have, they, they delight me, and I thank them, every one. So much so that uh, I have plagiarized a poem from the English poet uh, James Lee Henry Hunt for Rose. She's sitting back there. She couldn't go to the kids' thing, so she's squirming. Rose kissed me when we met, jumping from the chair she sat in. Time, you thief who love to get sweets in your box, put that in. Say I'm weary, say I'm sad, say that health and wealth have missed me, say I'm growing old, but add, Rose kissed me. For you, babe. <laughs> Thanks to all of you for being here now. Peace be with you. God bless you, everyone. You don't need me now. Um, (laughs) Oh, the odysseys, the stories. uh, Everyone's got one. Um, Mine, I guess, begins, well, let's see. I was born at T.E. Shumpert Memorial Sanatorium right here in Shreveport uh, back in 1956 to a mother who had converted to Catholicism in nursing school, she and her sister both, uh, and a father uh, who had been raised Baptist uh, in, uh, near Ruston, Louisiana, on a sharecropper farm, uh, and who did not go to church at all, other than on high holy days, uh, he would go with us to church. I grew up in South Louisiana in a small town where the Catholic Church was literally the largest building for miles. Uh, the town square that most of us would be familiar with was actually a strip on the major highway with the sheriff's office, the mayor's office, the barber shop, and the bakery. Uh, and the Catholic Church was this enormous, gothic, double-flying, buttressed edifice um, that even non-believers will walk into and stop talking. I don't know if you've ever walked into one of those places, but uh, it was one of those that you just wanted to say, God's up there. <laughs> and uh, I remember we had sort of a, a pre- uh, school year 
session where all of the young children were introduced to catechism, Sunday school for the first time, which culminated in our first confession and uh, our first baptism. And for your first confession, they teach you a prayer called the act of contrition. I don't know if any of you are familiar with this, but it begins with the words, Oh my God, I am heartily sorry for having offended thee. I refused to say it. And the nuns cajoled, and I refused to say it. And when they asked me why I would not say the prayer, I put my little hands on my hips and I said, Because I'm a good boy. Uh, they then tried to convince me that my refusal to say the prayer did, in fact, prove that I was not indeed a good boy. <laughs> and this bit of fuzzy logic was sort of the beginning of my relationship with the Catholic Church from then on. Hmm? Yeah. Um, then I remember um, Vatican II very clearly. Uh, because suddenly I could have a hamburger on Friday. <laughs> but the main thing that Vatican II did, II did, since we were in French Catholic South Louisiana, was it put the Mass in the vernacular. And so the Mass changed from Latin to French, and I still didn't understand what was going on. <laughs> um, then my family moved here, uh, a few years later and I went through junior high and high school here I remember having a father uh, a conversation with my father about why he didn't go to church anymore and he said uh, well I didn't leave them they kind of left me uh, because he had grown up in a Baptist church that did not have hellfire and brimstone preaching and he thought that that was all they were doing anymore and so he didn't particularly cotton to that and he didn't feel moved to join the Catholic Church, and that's why he would go on Christmas Eve, Easter, the High Holy Days, but that was about it. So sort of in my mind, I already had a sense it was okay to choose, you know? My mom had converted. She got to choose. Then in high school, the Catholic Church began a, uh, an experimental program called the GIFT program. It stood for Growth and Faith Together. They handed out a 250-question questionnaire that all the church members answered, and it was then broken down by age group, how you had, had answered. And I was chosen as one of the teen moderators for the high school group. And I sent to a little class. And um, I had researched a lot of it, being that kind of a guy. I thought I'd see what the official church stance was on these questions. And the defining question, which um, got me in trouble, was, do you believe the Pope is infallible in matters of faith and morals? I knew what I thought. I knew what Paul Jarzabek's mother thought. <laughs> and I went to the church library and researched it and found out that according to church doctrine, no, he's not. Only when he speaks ex cathedra, that's when he's on the throne with the hat and the ring and he's in communication with God, theoretically, he's in a trance. And at that moment, he's infallible. All other moments, no. I told my peers this, and I was immediately called to a meeting with the Monsignor where he said, um, what's the idea? And I said, well, I, I thought I, it's the truth. I think we deserve the truth. He said, some truths are not good for people. 
And I said, um, that's a load of it. And he said, you need to change your thinking or you may someday be facing excommunication. And I stood up and I said, I'll save you the trouble. And I went home and I told my mother I was never going back. And uh, I, I didn't. Uh, I went on through college and I thought maybe it was just me and the Catholic Church. Maybe there was just something broken in that relationship. And so I tried literally every other faith. And I never found anything really that sang to me, that felt connected. And uh, oddly enough, I even had a Unitarian girlfriend in college who couldn't tell me anything about it. <laughs> and never seemed to go to church herself. Uh, and so finally, in the, oh, I guess it was around 1984, um, I had taken up meditation in Memphis. Uh, my good friends, Asan and Indu Tejwani, who were followers of uh, Sai Baba, would invite me over and I would uh, experience wonderful meditations with them. They had a harmonium, which is that wonderful hand-squeezed little piano, and, and we would sing bhajans and have a great time. And uh, by the way, I have my own copy of Be Here Now still. Uh, I lost my copy of Seed, which was the metaphysical board game they published at the same time. I probably still wouldn't get it. And um, anyway, I ended up back in Shreveport uh, as part of the original staff that built and started WKNO. And one of my coworkers was a woman named Aileen Boren at KDAQ. Excuse me, WKNO was Memphis. Um, so uh, Aileen kept saying, "I think you're a Unitarian," and I kept saying, "I don't think so." Because, you know, I'd gotten kind of hinky about people inviting me to church, and I just wanted to do my thing, meditate, and be left alone. She finally invited me to breakfast one Sunday morning, knowing that was the way to get to me, and, uh, and got me to come to church with her at the, the little A-frame over on shreveport Barksdale Highway, uh, where I sat in the back and talked to myself and tried not to weep because I felt affirmed in everything that I had figured out and decided about the way the world worked for the first time. And I came again, and I sat in the back and I talked to myself. And then other people noticed I was coming regularly, and they began to talk to me a little bit more. Uh, Bart finally, after, uh, well, I met Susan there. Susan, uh, one Sunday, uh, read from a Leo Buscalia book, uh, a wonderful Christmas story wherein he gives his underwear to some natives. I don't know. Uh, I called him Dr. Huggy back then. I wasn't a big fan. But uh, she read it in a rather dry way, which made me think that she also didn't like him. And so I attempted to chat her up uh, after the service. And um, then I joined in February later that year. Uh, Bart came to me with a book one day and said, are you ready to get serious about this or what? And so I signed the book. And three months later, was asked to teach religious education. <laughs> Where I had the wonderful experience of teaching Marianne Cummings' daughters and Amanda Gould, and I had a lot of fun. And I actually uh, I was given a lesson book to teach out of, uh, and I actually learned a lot about Unitarian Universalism through teaching the kids. And I had a great time. I taught the kids this wonderful game uh, wherein it looks like I pick them up by their ears and it horrifies their parents and just tickles the kids. <laughs> I started going to Swoosey. I ended up marrying Susan in this very church here after it was built. And um, 
I found connections here. That's the big thing. It's all about connections. I mean, I think if you think about the journey, it's all about beginnings, questions, transitions, and then relationships, really. Identity, really, is what I think of it as. My Unitarian Universalist identity. Uh, and a large part of it is centered in this church. I've been to a lot of churches and a lot of events since then. Uh, I have my leadership school pin on, uh, YRUU, because I worked as a youth leader for almost 17 years. Um, Unitarian Universalist ministers, partners, and spouses, or the unfortunate acronym, OMPS. It's got to be a better one. I'm going to work on that. But I've been a member of a lot of churches. Uh, Walt Weider's wonderful church in Plano when we were in Dallas, uh, Dallas First. The Universalist Unitarian Church of East Liberty, which was Susan's first church that she served as an ordained minister. She was, in fact, ordained by this congregation, which had sponsored her to the seminary. So we came home for that. And now after all of these years and all of these trips and all of these memberships of other Unitarian churches, being involved in district and denominational affairs, we are back home once again. And this will always be my home church no matter where I am because home is where the heart is. My heart and the center of my UU identity are here. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be a part of this congregation. How about you?